welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Do we have any list makers here? Let's just, let's get our, you know, I want a participation, I want our participation level to go up. Do we have any list makers here? Just raise your hand, okay. And those who don't make lists, let's raise our hands. You guys are the less productive types, yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look, I believe, though, we all make lists. I really do. I believe we all make lists, and we, we, we play games and lists. We make lists in our heads. And, and whether, you know, you're like me or not, I'm just going to speak from my experience. We make lists of all the things we aren't, right? I mean, we, all, all the things that we've missed, all the past regrets. We, we try to forget them, but they're still in the back of our mind. Our, our failures, our mistakes, the things that we don't have, the things that we could have done. And we play all sorts of games. And for me, the game usually goes like this. I am not blank enough. And I make a list. I, I, whether I'm doing this on purpose or not, I, I tend to live my life in this reality where I say I'm not smart enough or I'm not talented enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not educated enough, I'm not thin enough, or whatever yours is, I'm not strong enough, I'm not successful enough. And we, we create a list of all the things that we aren't, and that seems to, you know, dominate our, our, mind, our mind when it comes to identity stuff. And so we learn to live our lives based on what we're not, right? And we're driven by what we haven't accomplished yet and what we're supposed to accomplish. Or even worse, and I think we do this uh, more often than not, because of social media, we play the comparison game, right? And now it got really quiet. <laughs> we just, you know, we scroll through Instagram and we see, wow, that family is way um, cooler than my family, or that person travels way more than me, or, or man, you have that sibling or that friend that is just way further along than you, and they're the same age or near the same age, and they, they have more success in their job, their family's better. That mom has the perfect kids with the perfect, you know, stroller, the perfect nap schedule, and the kids are never sick, and they're beautiful, and they take vacations, and you're just constantly thinking about what you aren't compared to what they have from the outside. Does anyone here want to confess now that they play the comparison game? Let's just get it off our chest. Yeah, we do. We do, don't we? And it robs us of so much joy because we begin to define ourselves by what we haven't accomplished, what we don't have. We spend endless amounts of energy, time, and resources thinking about who we aren't and what we aren't, and we live out of who we aren't, and we're driven by what we aren't, and the truth is is that that's not interesting. What you haven't accomplished, accomplished isn't interesting. Do you know that? I've got some good news for you. Who you aren't isn't interesting. Who you aren't isn't interesting. What you haven't accomplished isn't interesting. What you haven't done or haven't been isn't interesting. And we all carry these distorted views of who we actually are, and it all starts with a list or a comparison game. And I'm just gonna speak from my experience as we talk about the next four weeks' identity, who we are in Christ. We're gonna start with something today that is so important for us to understand how we live in view of who Christ calls us. But I wanna begin with recognizing that we all carry distorted views of ourselves with us. 
And they're lies we've adopted, lies people have spoken over us. Um, There are words that have defined our realities and it's coming from a place of brokenness and oftentimes from a place of of not being able to receive what is ultimately true about us. For me, it's fascinating. As I look through my history in life, I spent the majority of my life not feeling good enough. I mean, I'm 30 years old and I've spent probably 28 plus years of my life believing that I'm not good enough that I have no value, that, um, that th- what my value comes from what other people think of me. I have to make them happy. I have to prove to them that I'm worthy. I have to prove to them that I'm successful, that I'm smart enough, that I'm good enough, that I, I'm capable. I have to have all the right answers because for some reason, my worth was based on, it has been based on what other people think of me. I brought that into the church. The first few years of church planning, I didn't think I was a teacher. I didn't think I could publicly speak. I didn't think I was valuable in anything. I would get on stage and think I have to prove that I'm smart enough, prove that I'm all these things to you because deep inside, I had this deep inadequacy, this deep fear of being found out that I really wasn't who I I say I am. At the end of the day, I had this deep fear that something was gonna happen to me, that that you guys were gonna be unpleased and you guys were these faceless people in this crowd of usually about 15 people back then, a a small room of mostly family members because that's all who was showing up, just kidding. But the point is I lived with this constant uh, frantic desire uh, that I wasn't good, or frantic desire to please other people and, and prove my worth and identity to them. I mean, I don't even need to ask who can relate. I brought this into my relationship with God and I've shared extensively on this that my view of God is that he wasn't pleased with me. That I had to, I had to do more and work harder for him to, to be lovable, right? And so it was, I have to read my Bible every year all the way through multiple times. I have to fast like twice a week. I have to read more scripture and memorize the Bible. I had to do all this stuff for the poor because because the Bible says it and we have to do it and we have to do it, we have to prove. But all of that was coming out of this this driven need to prove that God, you you do love me. Yeah, you do, I'm, I'm proving it to you. Rather than just receive what was already there from the beginning. And so we have these distorted views and I've carried them most of my life. And I, they've, they've surrounded my life. They've, they've impacted my relationships. I've exhausted myself. I've been stressed out of my mind, all because I've been living out of a false identity. And so much of what we have to recognize in order to live a life um, to its fullness, so much of what we need to do in order to, to, to become effective in the kingdom is not anything at all other than to receive what is ultimately true about us. Because the truth is, what you aren't isn't interesting, but who you are is actually amazing. Who you aren't isn't interesting but I wanna talk about over the next four weeks who you are. Because our truest identity is found in what God thinks and says about us. And from that place, from the place of receiving our identity, we get the opportunity to live a life full of beauty, purpose, and truth. So how God sees us shapes everything else about us. How God sees us shapes the way we interact in our lives, with our relationships, with our work, with our ordinary life, it all comes from a place of true identity. Are you with me? Okay. Are you with me? 
Okay, we're getting there. Ephesians chapter four. Let's, let's look at this passage. So I wanna talk about this um, real quickly. I'm gonna make a couple of points about, about the way the scriptures reveal identity. Okay, what, what, what is actually happening on a broader scale? We're gonna talk about um, a word that's used to describe the church. So if you have a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter three, uh, four, excuse me, verse one. And it says this, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he says, uh, I urge you, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have, past tense, received. So Paul writes in the book of Ephesus, uh, really two parts to this letter. Part one is what God has done for you. Part two is what you are to do in view of what God has done for you, a response to what he's already done. And the whole book hinges on this one verse where Paul now transitions in verse four, or chapter four, verse one, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So what Paul will go on to do is say, basically uh, describe who you are in Christ and describe uh, what, what it is about you in order to motivate you to live a, a life worthy of the calling. So when Paul wants to change the character of a community, he doesn't first approach the community with a bunch of lists of what they need to change about themselves, of all the wrong, all the things they've done wrong and all the new kind of applications. Now he's gonna list stuff out, but what he first does is say, hey, this is who you are. This is what's true of you. And in view of what's true of you, live in response. In other words, much of the, the, the story of the gospel found in the New Testament letters, the way um, Paul is writing, he's saying, um, uh, as Christians, we are becoming who we already are. As Christians, we are becoming who we already are. It's a, a, a technical term theologians use. It's called the eschatological realism. Okay, sound good? Sounds like I'm smart, right? I can use big words like that to prove that I'm, that, no, I'm just kidding. It's actually important that you know what he's doing is, look, eschatology is a study of the end times, end things. And at the end, what happens, what we see is that heaven and earth is renewed. All things are renewed in Christ. That's where this whole story is going. Everything's going towards total reconcilia reconciliation and renewal of all the cosmos. Are you with me? So that includes animals and people and, and, and creation and the heavenly realms. All it says in Ephesians, all are being held together and renewed in Christ. That's where it's headed, but we're living here where we, we, we struggle regularly. We're at Franklin Middle School. We struggle with identity. We drive cars. Life is happening right here. But what Paul is saying, that's true. This is where this whole thing's going. And so it's what's true of you there is true of you here. In other words, I'm, Paul is saying uh, your identity of becoming who you are is being pulled into your future. Does that make sense? Let me explain it this way. <clears throat> uh, when I was 22, I got married. Okay, uh, uh, I stood in front of a, cr a group of people in front of Bill Doctrum, who is our other co-teacher, in front of my soon-to-be wife, and I stood there and I said some vows and I was pronounced husband. Now, up until that point, I had spent 22 years of my life learning how not to be a husband. In other words, just how to live a single masculine dude's life. And let me explain this because, <clears throat> because what happened on the, that day became ultimately true, but I had to figure out what that actually meant in the everyday life. So when I, for 22 years of my life, there was a particular way I saw the world and experienced the world. For example, movies. <clears throat> I like sci-fi. I can't wait for Star Wars to come out. Um, I can't wait for Superman and Batman to come out. All sorts of movies. Now, when you, when you get in a relationship, the things, your preferences start to change, don't they? Because all of a sudden, you get married and years down the road, you're watching Parenthood, right? No, no right dude in their mind should be watching Parenthood or Army Wives, for that matter. 
<clears throat> but there you are. So my preference in my singleness is to watch movies late, um, sci-fi thrillers, whatever it is. Like I absolutely love that stuff. Um, how I spent my money. You know, it wasn't up for debate. I got to do whatever I wanted with my money. Um, how I, you know, practice hygiene, which is subjective, by the way. Um, and when I was, you know, single or just dating, I believed in all sincerity that surfing it was equal to a shower um, because salt water is a natural, natural exfoliant. Would you agree? No, probably not. Okay, so that's one thing. Uh, laundry, you know, for me, it was a pile of clean clothes, a pile of semi-clean. I could possibly wear them again. And dirty to be washed eventually. You didn't really make the bed or you didn't really wash your towels or sheets for that matter, except maybe a couple times annually. But um, <laughs> this is the single man's mindset. Am I right? So diet, it was like, I was, I was skinnier than I am now. And it was like, I could eat tons of fast food, hamburger helper. It was like, get whatever is in the freezer into a microwave as fast as possible. That was the diet that you ate. Um, tons of coffee or whatever, that, that, has, that actually hasn't changed, but everything else so far. Like the type of toilet paper, I didn't care about the toilet paper. I didn't care if it was on a roll. It just had to be in reach of the bathroom. You know what I'm talking about? But there I am, 22 years old, and, and this new thing happens. He pronounces me as husband. Did I have any idea how to be a husband? Now, I read tons of books. I went through premarital. Did I have any idea that my entire world was going to change around this new identity that I just received? No, I did not. Because, in fact, I had learned how not to be a husband 22 years prior to this experience. So here I am in this moment. I have been given this brand new identity, and I have to learn how to live out of what is ultimately true of me. It says this, I, I, our covenant means I can imperfectly live in my marriage and learn how to be what is truest about me, that I am a husband. So what happens? Well, as you get married, you learn that there are things that you do as a man. There are preferences and ideas and concepts that need to be reworked into a marriage, right? For example, you should probably shower every day. Yes, that is ultimately true. Surfing does not equal shower. I learned that after being married. I learned that you actually, there is a way that toilet paper goes on the roll, and there are better pieces of toilet paper than other types of toilet paper. Like, that's just small things that change when you get married. If you haven't been married or if you're on your way, this is all true. Learn it now, all right? Learn it now. <clears throat> Um, conversations with roommates about work might be, hey, how is work? Good. Yeah, you? Good. Cool. That's about it. Conversations with your spouse quickly grow, and you discover there's so much more to life than good. And there's so much more to a diet than hamburger helper. And all of a sudden, the world begins to change. I do dishes differently. I make the bed. I do laundry. I do all of these things in a different way, not because I'm trying to earn a new identity, but because it's true of me. Out of the fact that I am husband, I now live my life in response to that. And I will spend the rest of my life, I promise, learning how to be a good husband. That's what we're talking about when I say eschatological realism. Are you with me? It all comes back. The same is true with being a father. Like I was handed this like drooling nugget, you know, <laughs> that I didn't, it was like you hold the bait, you're like, okay, I got... Burp him. Okay, hold on, hold on. I gotta like move this thing around and like burp him, hold the head. And it's, you're like not even doing anything. And but by the end of like six months of being a dad, you're like upside down, like crack, crack, crack. <laughs> All right, throw him over. No, I'm not doing that. Don't write an email. I'll probably get an email for that. But no, um, 
The point is, the invitation is to, uh, is to do this stuff as a result of who you already are. So uh, who we are becoming flows out of who we already are. Are you with me? That's the point. Who we are becoming flows out of who we already are. This is what the New Testament writes, and this is the point I want to make today. So here's a list of things that we aren't. When we're without Christ, this is who we are. Without Christ, it says in just, just in the book of Ephesians, look, you're dead in transgressions and sins. You follow the ways of the world. You're ruled by the ruler of the kingdom of the world. You're enslaved to cravings and desires of our sinful nature. Once again, can we just get participation? That defines so many of us. Are we not ruled? by our cravings, the things that we know we don't want to do, but we do it anyways? Okay, all right, yep. I'm just going to take silence as a yes from now on. We're objects of wrath, separated from Christ, excluded, foreigners. We're without hope, without God, and far away. This is a list of what we aren't. This is a list of what we are without Christ and what we aren't with Christ. Because look at what it says when we are with Christ. This is all from Ephesians. I love this. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing, chosen before the creation of the world, holy, blameless, adopted sons and daughters, redeemed, forgiven, included, sealed with the Holy Spirit, recipients of God's lavish grace, recipients of God's glorious inheritance, made alive in Christ, were saved, were God's workmanship or handiwork or work of art. We're part of a new humanity. We're fellow citizens, members of God's household. We're building blocks of God's temple. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a building block for God's temple. Now ask yourself, do you really believe that they have potential to do that? Right? Tell the person next to you, hey, you're a saint. You're holy. You're blameless. Now how many of you think, there's no way, this guy's crazy. Right? We don't believe that. We don't feel that. We look at that list and we're like, there's no way I'm holy and blameless and without sin and sealed and I'm, you know, building block of the temple. Come on. And that's the problem. Because if you don't believe it, then you're already off. We're talking about identity. We have to believe what God believes about us because from there, we can learn how to live our lives in fullness and in wholeness. This is the truest thing about you. Apart from Christ, you're nothing. With Christ, you're all of these things. And that's the point. And so the word I want to focus on is the word saint today. That we're going to look at four definitions or four identities that we receive in Ephesians. Paul will say you are a saint. You are um, a work of art. You are a temple and you are an artist. And that's kind of our framework. We're going to look at these over the next four weeks, so you don't want to miss the four-week series. But let's look at verse 1 of chapter, uh, of chapter 1 in Ephesians. And I'll, I'll just land here. We'll talk about this particular word, and I promise it's going to get a little technical again, but we're going to land very practically. And it was really powerful at the first service, what we got to do together. Verse 1, it says this. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to, if you have a Bible that you can write on, circle that. If you have a Bible you have to highlight with your finger and text it to yourself, do that as well. You can do that. I'm going to give you guys less. Just show your Bibles. How many of you guys have a Bible? Let's just raise them up. Okay, some of us have Bibles. That's great, man. Great. Props to you. Props to you. If it's leather-bound, more props to you. Just kidding. Just kidding. It doesn't matter. Uh, so, so it says, to God's holy people. 
Now go to Romans, and uh, we'll see what gets there faster, either the phone or the Bible. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. I want you to go there because I want you to see it. I want you to feel it. I want you to hold the scriptures in your hands and recognize what Paul is doing to every church in the Roman Empire. It is so profound, it will transform your life if you allow it. In Romans chapter 1, verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's see who gets there first. I've had practice this morning. uh, Verse 2, chapter 1, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ, past tense, and called to be his holy people. Are you with me? 2 Corinthians. It's another letter, same church. It's probably the third letter. We don't have the first one, just so you know. That's free of charge. Uh, Verse uh, 1 says, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his what? Holy people, you don't even have to read it. You can guess what I'm going to say. We read Ephesians. Go to Philippians, which is right after Ephesians. Verse 1, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. Go to Colossians. Let's just see what it says in Colossians. To all God's, all the sinners in Colossae. No, to God's holy people. Over and over again, when Paul writes letters after he's planted these churches, or some of them he didn't plant, he writes to the churches, groups of 10 and 30, gathering in homes, and he tells them, he calls them holy people. The other translation is saint, pure, blameless, sacred, power washed from the inside out. The Greek word, and you need to know this word because it's just fun to say, is hagioi. That's good, right? You need to, you're going to walk out with some Greek. Hagioi. Say it with me. Hagioi. And it means saint, holy, pure, blameless, power washed from the inside out. This is what Paul refers to the church. Now, I don't know if you've been to the garden long enough, long enough but I would not uh, call our church holy personally or full of saints. Because in my mindset, I see what everyone does. I'm like, man, definitely not that person or this section over here. But this is what Paul does. As he says, actually, this is the truest thing about you. This is who you are because of Jesus. And now you have to learn how to live out of what you already are. You're not going to earn your way to Jesus. You're going to receive what Jesus has already given you and learn how to live your life in response to who you are. So when you open yourself up to Jesus, you accept a whole new reality of who you actually are. Is that good news? For those of us on Easter, we had over like 40 hands go up for dedicating their lives to Jesus on Easter Sunday. How amazing is that? 40 people rededicated or committed themselves to Jesus. When you make Jesus your ultimate reality, your Lord and Savior, you accept a new reality about who you are. Now, if you're like me, you have to beat out the list that you've collected over the years, the words that have identified who you are over the seasons, the the titles and the accolades and the jobs and the positions that you've received, and you try to operate and live out of those things rather than what is ultimately and most true about you. And the point I'm trying to make is that you are a saint. You're a saint. Nowhere in the New Testament is a Christian called a sinner. The word saint means holy one. It refers to those who are in Jesus. And so their fundamental identity has been changed from an old life to a new life that's hidden with Jesus Christ. Um, Go to Colossians chapter three. I wanna read this to you. Paul says it in another way, and I love this. So we're talking about living out of what's true, and you are a saint. And Paul says this in verse one, chapter three. Since then, he's talking to the church, 
You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So set your heart on things above, and then set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. Past tense. Talking to the church. For you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ, in God. With Christ in God. Let me say that one more time. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, etc. So Paul is writing to the church, and he's giving them, again, talking about how to live out of this new identity. And, and he begins, it ends with, in view of who you are, put to death all the things of the sinful nature. So, but he says first, your past, all your old behaviors, your sin, your self, your, your lies, your corruption, your manipulation, your greed, your envy, your anger, your doubt, your self-doubt, I mean, excuse me, your self-hatred, all that's been, that, that has died with Jesus on the cross. And now I want you to think about those things for a second. I want, to, I want you to think about how brutal that death actually was. That's good news. Your old self has died with Jesus. Your current life in reality, this is what Paul's trying to say, and uh, I'll get to what it means in a second. Your current life in reality is now hidden with Christ, okay, so one box, with God, in God. So you have the Spirit and the Father. So you have your life, Jesus, Spirit, Father. You have this, this like box within a box. Within. So your life is literally hidden in the Trinity. That's your current reality. You with me? I hope not, because I don't understand what I'm saying either. And then you get to your future, and so when Christ, who is your life, appears, you appear, you appear with him in glory. So in other words, I don't have the foggiest idea what he's saying, other than you, have no, you no longer have biblical justification to call yourself a sinner. And he says, so put to death the things of your earthly nature. So in view of this packaged life filled with, surrounded by the Trinity that will be revealed in glory and the death being gone, those stuff have di- that stuff has died, so go on killing what is no longer true of you. In other words, whatever doesn't align with you being a saint, don't do it. Live your life in a way that is congruent with who you are. Live your life in such a way that reveals what is all ultimately and already true of you, that you are holy and blameless. So think about all the things in your life that, that you would say, that doesn't line up with the fact that I am a saint. I am holy. I'm already worthy because he's made it. I don't have to do things to earn his love or to be called a saint. He's already called me a saint, so now live it out. Put off the old and put on the new. Take off the old self and put on the new self. This is what we have to learn to do as Christians, but it all starts, it all begins with recognizing what is ultimately true about us. You with me? So the invitation is to put off anything that is not aligned with you being a saint. And brothers and sisters, this is so important because this is where I began to discover my identity issues. I, I struggle with it all the time. And what I realized is that I had collected all these false identities, all these words 
about being a failure, being a sinner, not being a good husband, not being a good father, not being good enough, not being smart enough, not being successful enough. I took the identity of pastor, the identity of church planner, the identity of success, or the identity of being a spiritual person, and I lived out of those false identities first rather than receiving and living out of what was most true about me, which was simply this. I don't have to make any of you happy because the Father in heaven is so pleased and delighted with me. I don't have to prove I'm smart enough. I don't have to prove that I'm capable of teaching. I don't have to try to prove that to you guys because God called me to it. And if he called me to it, then all I have to worry about is being obedient to what he's called me to do. And when you start living out of the true identity that you are and have in Christ, all of a sudden, all those things where you're trying to run to people to fulfill yourself or try to do things because you don't feel like you are enough, you put those things aside and you become a gift to others because you don't think about yourself as much. Because all you're doing is receiving the lavish love and grace of the Father in every aspect, in every day, in every ordinary moment of life. And this is where it all begins. It all begins with simply recognizing that wherever you try to place your identity, wherever you try to receive your identity from, whether it's sin, whether it's um, uh, work, whether it's a calling, whether it's a position, whether it's family and relationships, school, your past, all of those are overshadowed by Christ as a Christian, and your identity is found with Christ. Are you with me? This is good news. This is such good news. And we can't learn to walk in true freedom until we understand our true identity, that we are being drawn, pulled, and led into our new and true self as followers of Jesus. In Christ, we don't have to live out of our old ways anymore, but we are saints and we are holy and we are dearly loved children. And those words become the words that draw us into our future so that we operate and live out of a whole self that's rooted in Christ. Amen? Amen. In Christ, you are a saint. You are beloved. You are holy. You are worthy. You are good enough because Jesus is all of these things. So that's, that. you know, great. Darren, you're saying stuff I've heard before. That's great. But how, I mean, how do I live this out? So I want to talk about it practically. Because for so long I've heard sermons. I've read tons of Abba Child and identity books. I struggled. And, and I want to tell you what I, I think is helpful for us to live out of a true identity. So if you would, here are some four practical things. Number one, you have to accept this. You have to accept it. And that's probably the hardest because inside you fight it. You're like, there's no way that can be true. Actually, it is true. And you have to receive what is true from God himself. So you read the scriptures. For me, I would read Romans 8 over and over and over again. Because it says there's nothing I can do to separate myself from God's love. That I'm a dearly loved child of God. And I really didn't believe that for so much of my life. And it had, I had to learn to just accept it. If you're not a Christian, well, the first thing is to accept Jesus. Because apart from him, uh, you don't have the stuff we're talking about here. And now, when I say accept Jesus, I'm not saying, oh, a prayer is a transaction and you get to go to heaven. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus is the ultimate reality. And at some point, you have to decide here and now that he is truth, that he is life, that he is Lord, and he's been resurrected from the dead. And when you say yes, you spend the rest of your life figuring out what the rest means. And the only way you can do that is in community. The only way you can do that with community is with the scriptures, with a regular worship environment, serving. So we're talking about living your life on a journey together with Jesus. But you have to start by accepting the identity he's given you. The second thing, and this is really important, 
is that you, uh, you got to take off the old self and put on the new self. And I really want to speak to the garden about this because I believe so many of us are, um, are being, living outside of what is ultimately true. We're tempted outside. Notice what Jesus was tempted with when the tempter came um, and he was tempted for 40 days. Right before that experience, he was baptized and the heavenly father said, you are my son with whom I'm well pleased. You're my son, the beloved. The very next moment in the scripture is Jesus being tempted. And guess what's tempted? If you are the son of God. His identity was questioned. Because if we don't have a solid foundation of our identity, we will try to prove and work and earn our identities from people or from accomplishments. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? So you have to be established in your identity. And once you get there, once you receive that, then you put off the old. And this is so important. There are things we do that don't align with the fact that we are holy and blameless in our everyday ordinary life. And you know what it is. It's called sin. There are behaviors there are habitual patterns in your life. Some of you are sleeping around. Some of you are addicted. Some of you keep looking at those websites. Some of us, um, we lie, we exaggerate, we focus on ourselves, we're consumers. God's been whispering to our souls about these things, these habits of sin that we need to get rid of because it's keeping us from being fully ourselves with Jesus. We don't do them to earn points with God. He loves us the same. But if you want the life that is truly life, you follow the whispering that Jesus has in your soul, the, the whispers that the Spirit is giving to you. And you repent from your sin. You say, God, thank you for speaking to me about how I've been rude and quick lately. Thank you for spe speaking to me that I have been stressed and it's causing me to be short and quick with my son, who's a year and a half. Thank you, God, that I need to learn to not spend as much money on these things, but I need to spend my money on these things. Thank you, Lord, that, um, that I realize that sometimes social media causes me to go uh, to websites that I shouldn't go to. And you, you just say, God, thank you for, for, for giving me. Thank you for reminding. That's what we do with sin. We repent and turn, change directions. We need to repent as a church. And as, I, as you sit in silence, you hear the Spirit whispering, and, what does it, and, and there's a specific thing. That's the Spirit. The Spirit comes to convict us of our sin. And it's not a depressing, heavy thing. It's a light and joyful thing that we have a God who's tr desiring the best for us. And there are things that are not the best. Okay, point made. That's point number two. Point number three. You have to intentionally um, receive your identity. And, and I already said accept it, but you gotta, and you gotta take it off. But you guys, we have to intentionally receive our identities from Jesus. This is a discipline where you work to establish what's false, uh, what's true instead of what's false. So you have to constantly, day by day, remind yourself of who you are. It doesn't happen overnight. How many of you know this? Okay, a few of us. And lastly, this is what I wanted to land on. Um, and thank you for staying with me. This is where it gets really practical. Um, what I've learned over the years is that the only way to experience true healing in this area of identity is to name the lies you've lived under. You have to call it out specifically. You have to name the lies that you've lived under, the false identities. Um, and that takes hard work because sometimes they're not specific, but we have to pray that we can get specific with the lies we've li lived under. And so as a response today, I, I bring to you the Sharpie pen. I want us to respond together, and this is what I want us to do. For me, uh, I've lived under such heavy lies, like not being good enough. Being a sinner. 
not being lovable or loved. Um, not being a good husband. I've been a failure. I've believed I'm too young. Not anymore, though. I'm getting too old for this. Um, I mean, the list can go on. I probably need a bigger shoe size to list them all out on my foot. But it says in Romans <coughs> chapter 16, For the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. For the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And I believe that Satan is the father of lies. And until we name the enemy that he's spoken over to our hearts, and until we start walking out knowing that the God of peace is crushing Satan under our feet, we won't really live in true freedom. So I want to invite you as a response as we worship to come forward to the cross or into the back and literally write the lies you've received from the enemy, from your past, from family members, from yourself on the bottoms of your souls and walk out of here into this new week knowing that soon the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet and walk in the true identity of who you are, a beloved saint and child of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.